Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Amen. I invite you to remain standing in honor of reading God's word this morning. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 32, beginning in verse 14. For the palace will be deserted, the busy city abandoned, the hill and the watchtower will become barren places forever, the joy of wild donkeys and a pasture for flocks until the spirit from on high is poured out on us. Then the desert will become an orchard and the orchard will seem like a forest. Then justice will inhabit the wilderness and righteousness will dwell in the orchard. The result of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quiet confidence forever. Then my people will dwell in a peaceful place in safe and secure dwellings. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we are beginning a brand new sermon series this morning called Flourish. And before we get started, I just want to thank Kim Warden and Lisa Gammon for all the work they did on the stage and getting everything set up. So can we give them a hand and thank them for all that work? But we're going to be talking about flourishing. And when it comes to human flourishing, one of the words that we would most associate with that is the word happy. And the, happy, the word happy is a lot weaker now than it used to be, but it really is tied with flourishing. And so I want to ask a question because that's how we often think. What is it that makes people happy? I heard something over here. Throw it out there. What you got? Food. Food. All right. That's good. Money. Okay. Here we go. Comfort. Absolutely. What's that? Family. Okay. Feeling good. Jesus. All right. That's always the right answer, right? Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. All these things are things that, that make us happy in different ways. And there are, when we think about holistically, there are certain things that have been proven to produce happiness. And now through neuroscience and all that we have from a technology standpoint, we know a lot about the brain and the body and how what we would call happiness actually works. And there is an author um, who has, has written a lot about this. He's written a massive uh, book. Uh, Yuval Noah Harari, uh, you may have heard of him. He wrote a book called Sapiens. And in this, he looks at kind of the scientific data and specifically what we have developed over the past five centuries. And I want to read, I have a, this is a pretty long section from his book, Sapiens. He says, the last 500 years have witnessed a breathtaking series of revolutions. The earth has been united into a single ecological and historical sphere. The economy has grown exponentially and humankind today enjoys the kind of wealth that used to be the stuff of fairy tales. Science and the industrial revolution have given humankind superhuman powers and practically limitless energy. The social order has been completely transformed, as have politics, daily life, and human psychology. 
But are we happier? Did the wealth humankind accumulated over the last five centuries translate into a newfound contentment? Now, how would you answer Harari's question? Yes, okay. No? Okay. So we've got some different different perspectives. Harari would go on in, in, in not as simple of language to say the answer is no. Uh, that when we consider what it is that makes people happy, it is tied to meaning. And when we consider 500 years ago the amount of meaningfulness in different ways that people experienced, it actually was significantly higher. If you look at data over the last couple years where we are in America, uh, and again, you use the term happy as a, as a broad term, we are at some, some of the all-time lows. Uh, anxiety and depression are at all-time highs, and, and that tie to meaningfulness in many ways is, is extremely low. And so we have to ask ourselves this question, if all of the development in all of these different ways over the past 500 years has not made us happier, why is that? And, and what actually does lead to flourishing uh, as we consider this idea? Well, before we get started with that, I, I want to play a clip real quick from a movie called Grand Canyon, and this is going to be a throwback to the 90s. Uh, some of you may remember this as we kind of consider this question about flourishing and why we're not experiencing that right now. Okay, so to give a little context to what's happening, so Kevin Klein, who is this wealthy attorney, is at a traffic jam, and so he leaves the road, and he takes some back streets. Well, as he's driving, he gets into rougher and rougher areas, and eventually his car breaks down. And so he calls the tow truck, uh, which is Danny Glover, and while he's waiting for the tow truck, these group, this group of guys that you saw come, and they're basically going to rob him, and that's the moment when Mac, Danny Glover's character, shows up. And so the conversation that you saw, those guys start messing with, with Mac, and so he pulls the leader aside, and, and he says this. He says, man, the world ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know that, but this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can, and that dude is supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. Everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. Have you ever had a situation that you felt that way? A situation where you go, man, everything's supposed to be different than the way it is here. Things are not supposed to work like this. Like, I'm supposed to be able to do my job, and these people are supposed to be left alone, and this is not how things are supposed to be. My mom has been in Texas. She's here in the service this past week with a friend who was dying and eventually died of cancer. And you think about those kind of situations, and you feel, man, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not the way things are supposed to be. And whatever the situations in our lives that we're exposed to, we have this sense. So the question is, if this is not how it's supposed to be, if these are not the way things are supposed to work, then the question is, how is it supposed to be? And that's exactly what we find in the scriptures. And that's exactly what we will consider in our passage this morning. First, we see that that we are designed to flourish. We are designed to flourish. There is a very consistent term and a major term in the Hebrew scriptures 
that is tied to flourishing, and that is the word shalom. Shalom in Hebrew. And in the Greek, it's erene. But that word shalom, what does that mean? What do you all think that means? Peace, okay? And that's how it's translated. That's how shalom in the Hebrew and erene in the Greek, they're translated as peace. And yet, there's more to it than that. Because it's not simply like a ceasefire. You know, it's not just like two people are opposed and now they're peaceful. It's more than that. It's this idea of wholeness. So the, the verb is to make whole. It's, it's this bringing everything together in a full way. So you could translate it as peace, universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. And so this is this idea of shalom, it's wholeness, it's, it's everything working together where everything's at peace and people are experiencing delight. And so when we think about that as a, as a concept of, of the way things are supposed to be, let's just say, uh, think about the passage that we read in verse 17, we see, and this is a prophecy from Isaiah, the result of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quiet, confidence forever. So righteousness, that's a term that we use in kind of the church context. But what does it actually mean? Well, it's tied to being rightly aligned. It's tied to to doing what's right. And that's probably what we would think most often of doing the right thing. But there's more to it. It's, It's this being rightly aligned or rightly related. And so... A person who is, who is righteous in the fullest sense is rightly related to God, is rightly related to themselves, is rightly related to creation, and is rightly related to the world around them. Uh, and so in all of this, and the people around them. So right relationship. This is how God created humanity. He created us in these right relationships with him, with other people, with creation. And in this context, as he says, what do we experience? Peace. Exactly. Or quiet confidence forever. And another way you could translate that, and and other translations do, is security. And so when people live righteously... What is the result? Well, it's peace, shalom, and it's also security. And that's what's tied. When you look at this movie clip, that experience that they're having is a lack of security. And we've all experienced it when we've been in a place where we feel, we feel fearful. We, we have that feeling of insecurity. We're not secure. And so we can't rest. We keep our guard up, right? This is the fact that this exists is why we, we have to protect ourselves. In all kinds of different ways. That, that is not original, right? The, the, the concept is when everybody is righteous and is rightly related to God, themselves, others, and creation, you don't have to protect yourself, right? You don't have to have that sense of unrest. You can literally, I mean, imagine this, lay your head down at night and never have to worry if anybody's going to harm you. Never have to worry when you're going throughout your day. Think about this at work. Never have to worry if somebody's going to rip you off. Never, think about this, in your relationships have to worry if someone's going to manipulate you or use you in some different way. I mean, imagine that. Like, like imagine what that would feel like. It would be this rest. It would be this shalom. It would be this sense of security. And this is what we see at the very beginning of the scripture 
in what, what context, what environment? Eden, right? So we've got our, our little garden Eden here. This is the context of shalom, of rest, security, and there was an absence of something, and there's a lot to this. We've looked at this in previous sermon series in Genesis, but there was a lack of shame, right? There was a lack of hiding. There was total openness. There was total security between God and people and one another, and, and this lack of shame, this lack of any sense of division or brokenness in any way is what God intended. And, and this is the way that we are created to experience this flourishing. And when everybody's righteous and rightly related in all of these different ways, that's what results. But clearly we see that that is not the case today. Things are not the way that they are supposed to be. Why? Well, secondly, we're going to see because we are deceived by lies. Now, when we think about what makes human beings unique, what makes us capable of accomplishing the things, as we looked at Harari's work over the past, past 500 years, what makes it possible for us to, to develop societies and civilizations, there's one particular gifting and ability that we have that, that makes us stand out from other, from animals and that, that enables this. What is that, what would you say is that particular ability that we have? Speaking, okay, that's, that is, I would say that's an outcropping of that, yes, in, in a unique way. Okay, we have imagination, right? And I'm sure all of you thought of different things, but just save time there. But speaking, I would say, comes out of that. But, but let, me, let me maybe bring it back a little bit, because there would be some ties there. We have the abilities to visualize something that does not exist in reality yet. Does that make sense? We, so if you're building something, you guys have been building a structure, you have the ability to visualize that in some conceptual way that doesn't exist in reality, and then to bring that about, right? So again, any type of building or development, this is why we're able to to develop society in the way that we can. We can think about something that does not exist in reality and then bring it into reality, But here's the deal. Not only is it our genius, it's also our Achilles heel. Why? Because we can believe things that don't exist. We can be deceived. Do you see that? This ability that we have to visualize something that doesn't exist in reality is what enables other people to hijack that and to deceive us, to convince us that something exists that doesn't. And this happens all the time in all kinds of different ways. But this is very much what we see in the Garden of Eden. This exchange with the serpent is tied to this imagination, this visualization of something that's not true, that's not actually reflected in reality. And the lie that we see from the serpent, and this is important to understand where we're going, the lie that the serpent gives, the deception is particularly that God is not as good and loving as he claims to be. He's holding out on you, right? At the core, that's what the serpent is saying. God is not as good and loving as he claims to be. Now, what is remarkable is they are surrounded by shalom. All of the plants, all of the provisions, all of the perfection, I mean, beauty, everything is there. 
And evidence of God's goodness and love is literally all around them. And yet somehow they are able to be deceived to believe that God's not good and loving. He's not out for what's best for them. And this is what causes them to choose to listen to the serpent, to choose ultimately to sin, to rebel against God and his plans and his purposes and and his command for them. And so we see this chain reaction that takes place. It takes place in the garden, but it takes place, you know, for you on Tuesday as well. It's deception that creates distrust, which leads to disobedience, and then ultimately results in destruction, and, and you could also say death. But there's this, this procession from deception that creates this distrust, right, between us and God, we see that, that ultimately causes us, we, because, because everybody does what they think is in their own best interest, right? We all are making decisions because we think this is what's best for us. We're genuinely convinced that this is what's best for us, and this is why we do whatever it is that we do. And yet if we're deceived, if there's a false version of reality that we've chosen to believe, then our actions are going to be out of alignment with reality. And so they're going to lead to destruction. And that, and that is, again, when it comes to God, it's personal. There is also a rejection of God. There's a rebellion against God and his good purposes and his good plans for us. And, and this is why sin is foolish. It's foolish. And the Proverbs actually don't make the moral categories that we do in many ways. Foolishness, folly, and sin are the same thing. When you're, and wickedness in the Proverbs. It's just saying, when you do what's foolish, when you do the thing that's, that's dumb in many ways, that's, that's wickedness as well. That's, you're, you're choosing to do what leads to destruction for yourself and other. And so in many ways, you are doing the, the thing that sin, we put it back in this category, sin is, is dumb, right? I, I love Dallas Willard's definition of reality. He says, reality is what you run into when you're wrong. <laughs> and I love that. That's it. Reality doesn't care about your feelings, <laughs> right? It, it doesn't. And, and that's how we experience it in life. And, and so all of this comes about, and again, through the scriptures and wisdom, what it means to live a wise life. Uh, and, and, We'll see that in just a second. But what we also have to see here is sin. Not only is it dumb, but it's also offensive to God. And Cornelius Plantinga has written, I think, a really helpful book on sin. And he he says this about how God views sin and, and why it's such a big deal. He says, God hates sin, not just because it violates his law, but more substantively because it violates shalom. Because it breaks the peace because it interferes with the way things are supposed to be. God is for shalom and therefore against sin. God is for shalom. He's for this wholeness and this completion, this flourishing. And therefore he's against what breaks that. He's against that. And, and Plantinga actually uses a terminology, I think it's helpful, the language of, of vandalizing shalom. And he says God created, he's this architect, he compares God to an architect or a builder that makes this perfect creation of shalom. And then what does humanity do? We come and we vandalize it. We vandalize that creation. We vandalize that, that shalom. And so this is, there is this offense against, 
against a holy God. There's a, there's a, a reality of the desecration, the destruction of what God has designed as good. And, and, and therefore, this is, this is the, the massive problem uh, that we see. And, and so sin, it corrupts the, the apex of God's creation is humanity. And we've talked about that, the imagination and the abilities and all this that we have. But what sin does is it also hijacks. It's a power that hijacks all of the goodness of, of God's design of humanity, all the abilities that you have, right? All of the things that you can do and the, I mean, just incredible. I mean, it's amazing how complex your brain is and, and the potential that you have. And, and all of that is weaponized by the enemy. That's what happens. That sin weaponizes that and it uses it instead of for the good purposes of God of developing shalom and continuing to to build out his purposes. Instead, it it destroys other people. It destroys yourself, right? It becomes this this weapon in many ways that's that's empowered towards evil. And And this is where we see the destruction. Why is it when we read that verse 18, then my people will dwell in a peaceful place in safe and secure dwellings, why is, why is that so foreign to us? Well, it's because there's other people out there that we know that can hurt us, that, that will choose to do evil. That's the reason why we see all of the injustice and the brokenness around us. It's why we have to protect ourselves in, in various contexts. It's why we don't live with this sense of security. So we see God is not okay with this, right? He's not okay with the vandalism of shalom being permanent and the brokenness of all of the goodness of his design. And so he does something about it. And this is what we see third and finally, we're delivered by truth. Verse 15, until the spirit from on high is poured out on us, then the desert will become an orchard and the orchard will seem like a forest. Then justice will inhabit the wilderness and righteousness will dwell in the orchard. This is this, the prophets, the Hebrew prophets are constantly looking around and they're saying, this is not the way it's supposed to be. But they're presenting a vision that God gives them of the way it's supposed to be. And, and they, they are promising that this isn't all, always the way it's going to be. There is going to be this restoration of the brokenness. There's going to be this putting back together the pieces that have shattered there's going to be this wholeness and this flourishing where there is death and destruction that God is going to restore shalom. He's going to bring this about. And particularly in Isaiah is one of the main passages, the most clear pictures that we get in the scriptures that this is going to happen through a person. That there's going to be a Messiah who's going to come. And the language that Isaiah, it's, it's going to be a king but the, the language that Isaiah uses is it's going to be a czar shalom. Guess what that would be translated? A prince of peace. That this is going to be this leader, this power, but he's going to be a prince of peace. And so we read in Isaiah 9, verse 6 through 7, of the increase of his government and of Peace, shalom. There will be no end and the thr- on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts 
will do this. This Zar Shalom, this Prince of Peace, is going to come representing the power of God. He's going to, to have all of this power. What is the Lord of hosts? What does that mean? It literally means the king of, somebody said angels, and that's right. It's the king of armies, though, is the actual term. And, and yet we know it's referring to these angelic armies. And so here's the, the picture that we have is there's going to be this king who's going to come and he's going to rule with all this power, not just human armies with weapons, but these angelic armies and he's going to come. And what would you expect? So think about the Roman context that this is taking place in. So there, there is a king. What do they call their king in Rome? Caesar. And there's something that, that has been established by Caesar. We're thinking about the time of Jesus here. And it is the Pax Romana. You know what that means? Right? The peace of Rome. Now, how did Caesar establish the peace of Rome? Cutting people's heads off. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's it. He went into a place and, and the enemies were dead. The shedding of blood. That's how. So when you think about there's this God who built this good creation and yet there are these people who have desecrated and destroyed that. He's coming and he's coming as a king. And what are you expecting this king to do to the people who have, who have desecrated his shalom and his good creation? You're expecting what? Just just like Rome, you're expecting heads to be cut off. You're expecting blood to be shed. And yet, as we find how this actually comes about, we find in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Think about this. He comes and he establishes peace, Jesus does, as this promised king, not through the shedding of blood of others, but through shedding his own blood on the cross. All that separates us, all of the guilt, all of the shame, all of the wickedness that separates us from God, he removes, he cleanses by his blood, by pouring out his own blood on the cross so that we can be reconciled with him. We can have peace with him. We can no longer be at enmity with God. He does this himself. And what this does, first of all, is it makes it possible for us to have peace with God. Through trusting in Christ, through trusting in what Jesus did and his blood shed on the cross, we can be cleansed of all of our sin, right? All, all of the wrong, all of our little participation in the shattering of shalom, right? All of the sin that we're part of in all of this can be forgiven through trusting in Jesus and the shedding of his blood. And that is this reconciliation. That's this peace with God. But there's, I think there's more to it on the other side as well. Think about this. What was the lie from the beginning that the enemy told? That God is not loving and good. That's the lie that the enemy has used consistently that he uses today as well. God's not loving. He's not good. He can't be trusted. 
the cross was a public announcement that that is a lie. That God actually is good and he's loving. And he comes, as John 3 says, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. He comes to invite us into this reconciliation, to invite us into this peace. And this is important because when we see the evil and the wickedness and the brokenness of the world around us, it causes us to trust the goodness of God. And that is where we have to see the cross, right? We look to the cross. We go, no, God is good. He is loving. He is gracious. He did shed his blood so that we could be reconciled. And and is it just us? Is it just people that Colossians says? No, it's everything in heaven on earth. It's this, this cosmic bringing together in this way. And so I want you to think about this. I, I shared this in the first service because my mom in this time, and I invite the band to come on up and close out our time. Um, so I, I, I shared that my mom's been in Texas with a friend and, and this is a friend who I was friends with their son. I still am. Their son's. My mom's been friends with this lady who's her age and she's been going through cancer, going downhill and she's, she's dying. That's why my mom went down there to care for her in these final days. And it would be easy to look at that situation and go, God, what are you doing? Right? How do these situations happen? How do you, and question his goodness, question his love. And I want to share, I think, a little insight. So for two days, she hadn't said a word. She'd been totally silent, not speaking. On the third day, she started speaking and muttering. And and her son, John, my friend, said, Mom, what is it? And then she said, in perfect clarity... I was just telling Jesus that it's perfect. And she, then she died. Those last words. And you just think about that. That's, that's shalom. She got a vision of perfect shalom. Of what Jesus had established. What he had purchased for her by his blood. To enter into that rest. No longer questioning God's goodness or love or mercy or purposes at any level. And this is God's goodness and love and purposes that he invites us into here. Because being reconciled with God is not simply being at peace with God relationally. But it's also this call for us to be reconciled to his purposes on earth. This restoration of shalom. The the purposes of what he is accomplishing here and now. I'm going to go into this for just a second. But the word sin, when you go back to where it came through the Hebrew people, they were a nomadic people. And as a nomadic people, they walked everywhere, right? And so if they were going to go somewhere, for instance, to get water, then there was a path that you took that was the best path to get to the water. If you chose to not take that path, you get off the path, That is the word sin. 
It's it's missing the mark, but it's this idea of going a different way. It's the wrong way. It's not going to get you where you need to go. And so that's sin. That's what sin is. Sin is not going to get us where you... It's it's not putting the right gas in the tank. (laughs) It's not choosing the right target. It's not going the right way. It leads to destruction and death for ourselves and others. And if you realize that, that you're on the right path, then they then you do what the Hebrew word shuv, which means you you turn back and that's repent is how we would describe that. You shuv, you recognize I'm on the right path. I'm going to get back on the right path. And it's the right path is called sadiq, which is righteousness. How we follow the path of righteousness, right? And this is what, so when John the Baptist, the, the, this final prophetic voice that Jesus has got the king the prince of peace is here he's arrived his reign is being established what does he tell everybody to do shoo repent you're on the wrong path it's destroying you it's destroying others come back and how do you know you can trust that Jesus is the true and right king who will lead you in the right way the path of righteousness the cross we can trust him his goodness his love and so we follow him this is the way Right, this is the way, and we, we, as we realize, no, I got off the path again. I'm going my own way. It's not the right. We choose, right? We repent over and over. We come back to the right path. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you because you're the King of Kings. You're the King who died for me. And as we do that, we join in His efforts, right, of leading others onto this path and this restoration of His goodness, of His shalom, of His purposes on earth. That's what He's called us to as a church. It's the path of wisdom, the path of righteousness, right? The path he calls us to. And so I just want to ask us as we, as we close our time, first of all, have we ever, have you ever truly surrendered and trusted in Jesus as your king? Said, I'm not going to follow my own way and join in and all of the sin and corruption. I'm going to turn from that. I'm going to repent and I'm going to follow Jesus from this point forward. I'm going to move forward, trusting in him, following him. And if you've never done that, I would invite you to do that today. I'll be in the prayer room after as we sing and would love to talk to you about that. But maybe there are smaller ways in your life that you know you've 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 gotten off the path. You've you've gone on the path of sin, chata, and you need to shoot, you need to turn back and follow this path of, of of righteousness in whatever way that is, of trusting Jesus and following him as king. And there's a million different ways that that may be present in our lives. But that's always the invitation. The invitation. I said it last week, and it's it's always repent, right? It's all, but it's the invitation to flourish. It's the invitation to experience the goodness that Jesus as King has for His people. Father, we thank you that you did not leave us in our sin and our chata, following our own way, the way that leads to destruction and death. But you came and you established peace. You made it possible for us to be reconciled with God through your blood. But you also showed us that we can trust you, that you are the way you are the truth you are the life and so father would we repent of our sin Would we repent of all the ways we're going our own way and will we be people who who follow your path of righteousness who trust you who follow you and ultimately people who are always hopeful because we know that this is a path that's going to lead to peace that we will be able to say Jesus, it's perfect. We'll be able to see it once and for all. Will that hope guide us and lead us along the way? 
We thank you for the hope and the goodness that we have in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.